When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Everybody, welcome in to another edition of the List Podcast. Uh, this is where we make List Radio cool. Remember, they always told you in college, don't do List Radio because it won't, you know, it'll just drive away the listeners. Well, I said screw them. Uh, that's what we're going to do. And uh, we have a lot of fun with it. And this week, no different. Mike Golick Jr. joining us. You can always check out the Gojo Show on DraftKings Network, wherever you find podcasts. And he's going back to live, too. Mike, welcome back in, buddy. How you doing, man? I'm doing well, and man, I must have missed the part in this now. Notre Dame, we didn't have like a journalism school necessarily. We didn't even have a communications major. I was film and television. But even in my upbringing, I always thought that lists were exactly what sports talk radio needed. I thought this would be like the final boss of sports talk working its way into the podcast sphere because doing lists seems to just tick everybody off in the best way possible. So I figure we're in Valhalla right now. I agree with you. I just know, man, like when I when I was in, in, in communication school, they're like, you know you know do a list here and there gets people debating don't become list radio i remember the first month i was working at sirius xm out of college and i was filling in one day and i was like oh let's debate top heisman don't do list radio i was like all right someday i'm gonna come back and i'm gonna do list radio and y'all are gonna be wrong man so we're doing that today mike is a college football connoisseur of course played at notre dame and so we're gonna go through the top 10 college football stadiums that we both think make their way to that top 10 list and I know both of us enjoy snacks, so we're going to have the top five late-night snacks, and I'm excited to see what your list is, man, because like I'm a human garbage disposal after 9 o'clock at night, so uh, I'm just shoveling it in my mouth. So we'll see what our list look like there as well. Again, the List Podcast brought to you by The Man Salon and Reliabank. All right, so here's how we'll do it, Mike. We'll go 10 through 6 and then 5 through 1. Uh, we'll compare our lists and go from there, but the floor is yours. What do you have at number 10 through 6? Uh, 10 through six. All right. Um, and it, it's tough to try and gauge all of these because I haven't been to all of them. I've been to most of these. And so we're factoring in not only the game day experience for some, I have experience, but also how these render on TV, the pageantry, the history the team that inhabits them, all these things. So I started off number 10 with Bryant Denny. I feel like Alabama based on what they've occupied in college football deserves space in that home to some really historic games seems to put on a pretty good show there so I rock with them at 10 on this list number nine I went the swamp I actually went back there for the first time since I was a recruit this past season for the Florida Utah game where the Gators upset ranked Utah coming in there and while they've zhuzhed it up nice with some different lights in there and things like that it still has that sort of dressed down concrete feel to okay. it and a really raucous environment so uh, love that one here. I'm going to go with Autzen out at Oregon at number eight. Uh, okay. That's an incredible game day experience. That's one I got to experience firsthand this last year. Crowd, the setting, it's kind of up on a hill. All these things made it an elite place to watch a game. It affected what went on on the field in a real way. And so, Did you feel the Nike money there during that one? Did you feel uh, the Nike money? 
I felt the Nike money more honestly seeing the Oregon track and field stadium on campus. Really? That thing is a palace, an absolute palace. So Autzen is great. You feel the Nike money all over campus, but the track and field stadium wins that one going away. Uh, and then number seven for me is uh, the shoe at Ohio State. Like big, towering, old school, like Roman Coliseum kind of themes, especially on the outside there. Obviously, an incredible atmosphere. Every other year plays home to one of the best rivalries in all of sports. And then number six, I went with the Rose Bowl. Like, the you know, the granddaddy of them all. All those. That's really because we know it doesn't really fill up a lot during the season we saw that last year even when ucla was good but for that one game a year it is the most scenic view in college football the split stadium the flyovers the sunset the roses the parade everything there i understand at times we beef with the rose bowl for being a little hoity-toity and for kind of affecting the way college football moves in certain conversations like playoff expansion but uh there's no denying that view to quote uh ellie from uh the last of us Okay, so you you know you're going to piss off some Ohio State fans by putting them at number seven because they think that they think the horseshoe is the holy grail, right? Like they think Ohio Stadium should be number one. It's not number one on my list. It did make it higher than number seven. But what what would have what would what would have to change at that place that made it a top five? Is it updates? Is it you know you don't like Ohio State? Like what's the why is it not higher? Now, I got no beef with Ohio State. Like, they're not a real chief rival of Notre Dame, quite frankly. I mean, they've beaten us in most big stages that we've played on lately. But I never played them when I was in school. I'm not from okay. Ohio like my dad, so I don't have that. It's just vibes-based. Like, I've been to it. It's a good stadium. It's a good. It's a fine stadium. But as we get up on this list here, you're going to kind of see, I think, what separates these top-tier ones from everything else. And so I got no beef with the shoe. It got a great nickname. Very well-known. Very renowned. You get buddy that dots the eye and all that cool stuff. Yeah. But uh, there's listen, we're getting towards the top five of the list. There's always going to be stuff to piss. There is, on. there is. So I got through my list and I realized I did not have Brian Denny Stadium on mine. So I didn't go back and put them on, but they would be number eleven on mine. Uh, I would agree with you that the atmosphere as of the last twenty years, and obviously I was born in '85, so I don't know anything about you know the days prior to that. But from for the last fifteen years with Saban and everything, there some tremendous games, and obviously always sold out. A wonderful atmosphere as I put him at 11. And I'm biased as hell at number 10, man. And I know that, like, if you look at a game, and I've been to games here because they're my favorite team, but I know that if you look at games sometimes in the third quarter, it looks like it's half empty. Some of that's because it's hot as hell. And some of it's because it's Miami and you'd rather be on the beach. But when the U is playing football at a high level, nothing better. Hard Rock Stadium, man. The amenities. I actually love the club section there. Great air-conditioned area. I went down and watched Nebraska-Miami years ago. I've been to multiple games since. It's not going to make anybody else's top 10 list, but it's making mine. Damn it, it's my show. At number nine, I have Penn State and Beaver Stadium. Uh, I just, I think from an aesthetic standpoint, when you see a white out there, and I've never been there, so a couple of mine on the list are more so about just what I've seen on TV and the atmosphere that comes from it. A night game, a white out, Penn State. Yeah, that place is rocking. And, you know, it, it depends on maybe the year, how rocking it is. But I got them at number nine. I love the aesthetics and, and you know, it's off the water. I think that when they have big games to Husky Stadium, am I? is that what you were thinking? It's it's so good. I called a game there last. I flirted with that one. Honestly, 
that one and Bryant Denny were going toe to toe. That's okay. another one gets really loud in there. And I think the nickname is the greatest setting or something. It's a very strange yeah. nickname, yeah. but it makes sense. It actually looks a lot from the outside, like the Steelers stadium, yes. same basic shape and right there on the water. Really awesome view. Really cool place to see a game. I really want somebody to take me on a boat. Like they say, they pull up at the docks. Then you just walk over to the game. I got to find somebody that has a boat out there. Neyland Stadium is number seven for me. I, I was introduced to SEC football at Neyland Stadium when I moved to Nashville in like 2008, going to a game in Knoxville and, and seeing 100,000 people in orange and realizing if you were wearing the opposing jersey of, a t of another team, your life might be in danger. Um, I, I just knew that like it was different. I went to the University of Minnesota for the first few years, man. Like We went up in there sometimes. We go to the Mall of America buy the opposing team's t-shirt because we were so pissed that Glenn Mason would have those guys 5-0 and and end up at the Music City Bowl. So, like, I would go to the Metrodome and watch football games in that concrete jungle, and I had no experience with what it was like to be in the SEC world and Neyland Stadium, man, the tailgating and, and everything that came along with it. I walked in there going, oh, my God, where did all these people come from? They're number seven on my list. And you and I are on the same page at number six, the Rose Bowl. And it's more about the Rose Bowl than it is about UCLA home games, obviously. But the pageantry that comes along with it, you know, they've added some sweet levels to that. And everything that's come, the press box stuff looks great with Herbie's name on it, the whole nine yards. I, I love it. Um, I think it's it's a really iconic piece of football history. And so I have the Rose Bowl at number six. All right, man, five through one, what do you got? All right, so number five, uh, you had it at number seven, but Neyland there, that's another one I have, and as you'll see, a real penchant for stadiums that are sheer. You feel like you're sitting at the bottom of a valley inside. <laughs> yeah, And it yeah. is 100,000 strong, and it is chaotic. And right now, Josh Heupel's obviously got it humming. I got to see my first game there during the crescendo. So it wasn't last season. It was the season before as they were starting to really rev the engine on that one. Hendon Hooker had been in place as the starter. But you saw when that place fills up and really that whole surrounding environment, another place got boats involved, the Vol Navy out getting ready for games, the overall atmosphere around that really, really impressive there. And checkered orange as a color also renders really well. It does. Yeah, it's a powerful yep. visual of that color overwhelming you inside a stadium. Number four, uh, got to put the big house uh, in there. Uh, that's the stadium where, you know, played one of my biggest rivals at that time. It's weird because as I talk about sheer stadiums, I always tell people the big house doesn't feel that big when you're down on the field because it, it goes so flat out back. You got to see it from the vantage points up in the booth or from the surrounding area outside. But again, maze is another color. While I will still say it's the ugliest color in college sports, <laughs> stand on that. Michigan fans even know that's true because in all of their best jerseys, they are majority blue. Everyone's wearing majority blue. Nobody wants to wear that ugly pea-colored yellow. And so I stand on that even knowing Michigan's a great team. It's a great rivalry game. I had a ton of fun playing in that. And the Big House and Ann Arbor, lovely college town, lovely campus, and a pretty awesome stadium. So, Do you remember like when you walked into that stadium for the first time? Like, do those? I, I never played college football, but do these? when you talk about these stadiums, do you remember when you first walked out for warm-ups? Uh, not for warmups. Like I remember my first game in the stadium. I remember, I think that year, Michael Floyd, my first trip up there, Michael Floyd, um, injured his knee at the beginning of that game and went out and that game ended up on big 10 classic. Like the very next day, it was, we had some strange games in there. We played, I think the first night game, um, in like modern Michigan history or one of the first ones there in Notre Dame, Michigan, 
uh, in like 2009 or 2010, something like that. But no, again, really impressive stadium. I remember watching it on tape in the lead up because you get the end zone copy of these games. Yep. And the thing you did notice about the environment, and it was always my gauge from then there on out for all right, what's the stadium's crowd like? How raucous does the place actually get? Because if the end zone copy camera on third down and red zone plays isn't shaking or swaying, then your crowd's not really doing a ton of damage. But when you see and you're trying to watch tape and all of a sudden you can see it kind of rattling or rummaging a little bit there, you know a crowd's getting after it. So Michigan gets the credit for that one in the big house. Number three, I, I saw you had it pretty low. Beaver Stadium's at number three for me, man. And Is it? we talked about how the Rose Bowl has an outsized impact on that stadium's perception. The Penn State whiteout for me was a legitimate bucket list item that I got to cross off. That is an experience. I get it. And the entire tailgate area envelops you. It's a really old stadium, which there's some charm of that to me, too, in the fact that the press box looks like it could all collapse at any moment. It's held up by, like, teams and rods. <laughs> Uh, I mean, where I called the game in the national radio broadcast booth essentially looked like we were calling it from a scuba station. We were calling it from a submarine. And there's something charming about all of that being this old remnant of all of this football nostalgia from years past and there not being a ton of glitz and glam to it, but they blow it out. The whole spectacle of the lead into that game, second to none. So I got to give Beaver Stadium its just due. Number two, Tiger Stadium. Uh, Louisiana Saturday night's hard to top, man. It's the loudest football stadium I've ever been in was Alabama LSU one versus three in 2000. I want to say 18 or 19. Um, I guess it was probably it was probably 19. It was probably the uh, Joe Burrow LSU championship year. Um, but um, Tua Tungavailoa was quarterbacking for Alabama still. And on one of the early red zone third downs near the LSU student section, there was a false start and it was so deafeningly loud. I was down on the field that no one could hear the whistles and Tua got sawed in half after the play and almost got injured and knocked out of the game. It's an environment that affects you. It's a tailgate scene that's second to none. But again, big, sheer stadium. So you know you're sitting in the middle of that thing and all that sound is just eating you alive. I've never seen a stadium or heard a stadium be that loud and affect the game as much as that one did. Did you get to – so I know you're in the media now and you were playing games when you were younger – have you got to experience any of the actual tailgating stuff at any of these stadiums? Is there one that that trumps all the rest? Oh, yeah. I mean, LSU's kicked ass because it's it spreads everywhere. So, like, Notre Dame's tailgate scene, it's in one parking lot. There's a lot of areas. Even Penn State's, you see all these, like, white tents in one area. Yep. TCU's is kind of similar to where, especially the money side of the tailgate, white tents kind of tell you where everything is. You just keep walking because it's all swampland near the stadium. So they're building on where the solid ground is. There's winding roads and paths. <laughs> and you just keep walking, and the tailgate is every it, it is everywhere at, all at once. Everything everywhere all at once is that tailgate. And everyone was super nice. I got offered gumbo at like three separate tailgates. People were throwing beers over. I also, I think, got involved in an ice luge at that one. So <laughs> 10 out of 10, no notes. You're obviously going to sweat your ass off because it's Louisiana. But who cares? I love places where I get to be openly sweaty. I'm going to sweat all the time. Me this too. brings everyone down to my level. So I had a blast tailgating down in the bayou. Absolutely. Uh, man, so what's number one on your list? 
Notre Dame Stadium. Come on. Oh, <laughs> you, talk about the, you talk about the homer list here. And I, what I what I think is cool, because I talked about, you know, obviously Notre Dame's in-stadium environment's not known to be the most raucous place in the world, but you've obviously got boatloads of college football history, touchdown Jesus overlooking one of the end zones. You can get all these shots with the dome off in the distance. Um, I, I, I had a friend who played an opposing team come in, explain it is their coach told them all coming up and making that trip, don't let the ghosts beat you, meaning don't let all of the history of this place beat you. And with Notre Dame, the cool part is even as they've built it up now, and as of 2017, the most recent stadium renovation, you've now got more luxury boxes added. You've got a student center on the side. They've really, because you always have to play this game of give and take with the academic side of campus, they've turned it into a campus hub, which I think is really cool. It's a place where it lives and breathes each day. There are students going in and out of there for all sorts of reasons. I love that part of it. But also, you can kind of look at it like rings on a tree where when you look at Notre Dame Stadium, you can look through and see every renovation all the way back to the initial brick building, the actual house that Newt Rockney built. And so they always made sure through every renovation that went through that stadium, whether it was the one in the 80s or the one that we most recently went through, that you always could cut through and see through to the soul of the stadium and this place that is you know, I understand people on the outside are critical thinking that Notre Dame fans live in the past. I dispute that based on all the recent success. But what I do say is, obviously, one of the cells in the big appreciation is you do have so much history and they make sure to put that on display visually with the elements that they've kept even inside the locker room and stadium, certain landmarks and things that they were never going to change no matter what renovation you did. So I think being able to merge past and present as well as they had, and again, a, a ton, a ton of Homer bias lands them at number one on the list. I love it, man. I love it. I would. They're in my top fifteen, but this is a top ten list. So Notre Dame did not make my top ten list. As we get five through one, that's Mike Golick Jr. Check him out. Uh, where you get your podcast with the Gojo Show. This is the list. Also find it anywhere you get podcasts. Also on YouTube. Brought to you by the Man Salon, themansalon.net, and ReliaBank. All right, man. My five through one. Number five to me. I was introduced to this stadium because I was on SiriusXM at the time, and we were talking about best rivalries in college football. And, of course, you had Auburn, Alabama, and talking Ohio State, Michigan, Notre Dame, and USC, uh, UCLA, USC. And somebody called in from Provo, Utah, and said to me, listen, if you haven't ever been to a BYU-Utah game, you haven't been to a rivalry game. So this gentleman, shout out to my guy Justin, flew me and my wife out to a BYU-Utah game. And I'm talking – I'd never been at a stadium that was so gorgeous outside of the stadium, right? You got the big hill and the, the mountain in the back, and you know they got the, the the BYU stuff in the background, and they have something called the cougar tail there. You know about a cougar tail? I don't. Oh, what? Of all the people, you should. So, first of all, a couple of things about this experience. Um, there was no caffeine to be found. Okay, apparently that's something that you know you're not supposed to have caffeine. Yes. Uh, so, so I'm drinking like you know, diet caffeine-free Coca-Colas before a game. It was the most unique tailgating experience I ever had. Great food, but weird drinks. And then we get into the game, and he goes, you want some cougar tail? I'm like, well, my wife's with me. I don't know if that's possible. (laughs) I'm like, you're a Mormon. I don't know. This is getting real weird, right? So so, uh, he goes, and he gets me. It's like this, like, three-foot-long long john, okay? And it's just covered in blue frosting. So it's this wow. huge, huge donut. And I'm like, you guys won't have caffeine, but you give me 14 pounds of sugar. Something's not adding up here. Uh, but they're absolutely delicious. If you ever call a game there, you got to get one. Uh, but it was just an awesome experience. Plus, you know, the Holy War, man. So the, the rivalry and the atmosphere 
was epic. I actually took my producer out to that game a few years ago so he could experience it. So I've been there a couple of times. Lavelle Edwards Stadium uh, in Provo, Utah, number five on my list. Memorial Stadium in Lincoln, Nebraska. And I think the fact that they have this you know, extended sellout streak, even though they've sucked at times over the years, I went down to a Miami-Nebraska uh, game. And I'm sure some of this is sarcasm, but everywhere you walk, they're like, thanks for coming. We appreciate you coming to the game. I'm like, really? No, I, think, I think that's just deeply Midwestern. Like the same <laughs> yeah. thing happened at Oklahoma when we played down there in 12. My family said the fans couldn't have been nicer. We went down and put on them pretty good. And uh-huh. said their fans were super accommodating and welcoming. So I'm not surprised, having also been to Lincoln, that the folks there would match that energy. Yeah, it's a great stadium too, man. And you know, you talk about the history of that place. It's been amazing. Ohio Stadium comes in at number three for me, the horseshoe. You talked about it and sort of the, the columns and everything that comes along with it. Um, I just think for me, it's something that I grew up watching was big games at Ohio uh, State, watching it on TV. I've never been there, but it's number three. You and I share two that are similar. Number six. Rose Bowl and number two Tiger Stadium. Uh, that is on my bucket list of places I'd like to go. And you said what every other human I've ever talked to has said about that experience. It's the loudest place they've ever been. The night games are on a different level. The tailgating experience is a plus, and it's the Bayou, man. Like right. you know, you're just having a good time, right? The like student it's- section screaming neck. Like when that <laughs> yes. when the band plays neck and that student section gets going, it's one of the funnest things I've ever seen. Amazing, man. So that's on my bucket list, and I don't want to go to like an LSU A and M game. I want to go LSU Alabama. That's the only. I'll wear as much LSU gear as I can find. And number one for me. And I just I think of of growing up, and I was a Miami fan. But if I wasn't watching Miami football, the next thing that I wanted to watch was Michigan football. And the Big House is number one on my list. All the great Ohio State Michigan games. Uh, you know, I, I'm a big Michigan basketball fan, so there was that affiliation as a kid that I wanted to watch and see Michigan football do well. You know, the, the hundred thousand plus people. I think any of those stadiums that can get a hundred thousand deserve consideration for the top ten list, but. Yeah, man, I got the big house at number one. Again, Hard Rock Stadium, the U at number 10, Beaver Stadium at nine, Husky Stadium at eight, Neyland Stadium at seven, Rose Bowl at six, Lavelle Edwards Stadium, BYU at five, Memorial Stadium at four, Ohio Stadium at three, Tiger Stadium at two, and the big house at number one. You got your rundown for us, man? You want to go over it again quick? Yep, I went Bryant Denny 10, the Swamp 9, Autzen 8, the Shoe at 7, the Rose Bowl at 6, and then 5 through 1, Nealon, the Big House, Beaver Stadium, Tiger Stadium, and Notre Dame Stadium in a list that will surprise absolutely no one. (laughs) And honestly, what you just mentioned about Michigan, too, is the worst part about all this. It's like, obviously, I've got them in my top five. I throw Notre Dame at number one, but I always joke like Long Island and Staten Island have a little more in common than they like to admit, and everybody from each side craps on the other i hated michigan when i was a player they were my least favorite rival they talked the most crap they're dry they can't drive worth a damn up there all these things that i hated about (laughs) michigan and then i went up there to call a game and do something else on campus and i'm like man this is just like a bigger notre dame campus beautiful (laughs) there's a lot of exposed brick there's great greenery out here they've got really nice restaurants a cute little downtown scene the fans were all pretty nice to me actually and so i hated it because i was like i actually kind of like it here and i hope i get to come back at some point even though i despised the football team as a player and as a kid growing up as a notre dame fan so it is amazing 
what you can learn in this sport by getting to go out and actually be boots on the ground at some of these places, learn the nooks and crannies, get to see all these different parts of it. It's, it's the best part about this sport in all seriousness. As we talk about the lists, like, Seeing this envi- these environments, seeing the way that people operate and the traditions they have around all these games, it's why calling games for me is the most fun that I have working in this industry is because for a week, I get to talk to people and I get to learn all about the things that make their experience like what mine was at Notre Dame, why my family's whole life has been surrounded around that school there's a million other stories like that for a million people at all these places and getting to learn about that every week that I'm on the road every fall is one of my favorite things. I make sure to not take that for granted each and every fall when people give me their time, when media members fill me in on what's going on, when fans take the time to let me know where I need to go eat, where the best donuts and ice cream are, all these things that we look forward to. So it is it, it is one of my favorite parts of the sport outside of getting to tell the story of the young people themselves. Very, very cool, man. Yeah. Uh, you know, honorable mentions for me, camp Randall, uh, you know, when, when, you know, you playing the song, everybody's bouncing A&M Kyle field Clemson's got a great atmosphere nowadays, Bama, Notre Dame. I mean, there's so many great ones that we couldn't make to the top 10, but that's why we call it the list podcast. Mike Golick jr. I am Jeff turn. All right. So Let's get to the important stuff now, all right? I know you and I both enjoy some snacks. And for me, like I said, I'm a human garbage disposal after 9 o'clock, man. Like, I'll sit there at night watching TV, you know, shoving food in my mouth, stumble over, brush my teeth, stumble back, and go to bed. But we have to come up with the top five late-night snacks. And I will tell you off the gate, there's one that I wanted to put in my top five that just couldn't make it. I don't eat it enough at night, but it's certainly a top five. Mini donuts, like the the white powdered mini donuts. They're, they they go down pretty good. Uh, I mean, I I have them at number six. But all right, I'm gonna do the same five through three, and then two and one. But give me your five through three. What do you got? Uh, so five through three. I'll start off number five. Um, any leftover holiday candy? I say this as someone that only threw out his leftover Halloween candy like two months ago. Uh, <laughs> is whatever, especially now as a single adult living by myself. So. I understand this is probably a different set of math for people that have kids, people in different situations, people that don't live in an area where they're going to be trick-or-treaters. But when I've got leftover holiday candy around, it's my number one thing. I'll stash it in the cabinet. And as I'm sitting around or walking around at night, my inhibitions are lower. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking less about what's going to lie on my hips and more about what I want to hit my lips. That leftover holiday candy is an easy place to start at number five. Number four. Peanut butter and jelly. And usually, honestly, for me, just a peanut butter sandwich. I'll go a triple decker. Okay. Uh, jelly, jelly's fun every once in a while. Not a mainstay for me. I don't care enough to buy it. But Strawberry, grape, what do you go with? Uh, grape is usually my Do preference. you go with the squeeze bottle when you do buy it, or do you go with the scoop it out of the jar guy? Uh, you know, honestly kind of depends. I've never had a brand affiliation or a type affiliation when it's okay. come to peanut butter or jelly. I just buy whatever looks best that day at the grocery store. I'm a sea ball hit ball player when it comes to that, but it's an easy snack to make. It's a little bit of sweet. It's a little bit of salty. It's pretty dense. And so it's going to cut my cravings off. Like if I want to stop her, that's a great stopper because you're not going to eat that and then be like, oh, well, I really want something else. That ends the conversation in a way. Now, that I got three boys under the age of eight, so they love their peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. So this is something that I do every single time. We buy the squeeze bottle, so I make them their peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Before I put the bottle back in the fridge, it's an open the mouth and just squeeze, man. <laughs> I'll take whatever. Wow, there we go. Straight to the dome, man. I'll take the jelly straight to the dome. All right, what do you got at number three? 
That's me with the peanut butter, by the way, with just a spoon <laughs> in the jar. Yeah, I get my Ted Lasso on a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah. Number three is just any leftovers. So okay. if I've got any leftovers in the fridge, it's a great late night snack, either to just nuke in the microwave. If I'm feeling a little nasty, especially if I've got something like I've had leftover hibachi or Chinese food, all of a sudden now crack an egg over the top of that and throw it in the pan, mix it up a little bit. And now we get to get a little bit sexy. That's if I want to put in some effort, but leftovers of any variety, especially post Thanksgiving, always play as a late night all right number five on my list and this has really been something that has climbed up my list over the last 10 years of having children string cheese man like i will go through i will go through three or four pieces of string cheese uh as i watch a game uh you know we we have so much string cheese go through our doors at our house that there's always some around so number five is string cheese number four and i could do like a hashtag here but like chili cheese fritos uh, are number four on my list. And the reason that's so specific and not just chips is like, I eat chips all day long, but you know, if you eat some chili cheese Fritos or some Funyuns at four in the afternoon, nobody wants to talk to you. The rest, you can't brush your teeth enough to get rid of that funk as you're trying to conduct the rest of your business, the rest of the day at night, even if I brush my teeth and I got, nobody's talking to me till the next morning and I'm brushing my teeth a second time. So I feel like I'm going to be good. So chili trees, Fritos, hashtag Funyuns, whatever it is, uh, I'll put it number four and number three, fruit roll-ups. Uh, fruit roll-ups are my favorite fruit candy that you can find. And Mike, I'll tell you this, you speak of that, you speak of that candy that you that leftover candy you got. If you take a fruit roll-up and you wrap it around a mini donut or you wrap it around a Snicker bar or you wrap it around any sort of candy and you put the whole thing in your mouth, you will love it. Marcel Luis Jock that works for ESPN and covers the Dolphins. We did an ESPN radio show a couple weeks ago. and We bet on the Lakers, uh, or excuse me, the Warriors-Kings game seven. I took the Warriors. He's a Sacramento guy. And he was going to have me... What was he going to have me? Oh, he's going to have me eat like some um, crackers and some other garbage that he puts on it. And I told him, dude, if you lose the game, you got to try my specialty, a Snickers bar with a fruit roll up on it. He said that he got diabetes from it is what he told me. (laughs) He literally got diabetes, but it was delicious diabetes. I told him from getting it. So at number three, I got the fruit roll up, man. What do you got for two and one? Uh, man, the fruit roll up kink is a different one. I've known you for a while now. Didn't know that about you. So not here to yuck anybody's yum. I listen as the proud son of a type two diabetic. Uh, I certainly have proclivities that'll lead me to that eventually. So, um, (laughs) definitely dig that number two, um, pine ice cream for me, probably my favorite dessert. Most consistently, I've always maintained. There are two things that God gave me a separate stomach for. I can eat a limitless conveyor belt endlessly feeding me french fries from now until the end of time and never stop <laughs> and then ice cream's the other one shout out to the folks at graders that always keep me with a very full freezer they are incredible it is the best ice cream on the market and what's the flavor that's your favorite um honestly we talked a lot about this i would say either buckeye blitz is one of their most well-known flavors it's got like the buckeye stuff it's the peanut butter chocolate yep. combination or boldly bearcat they are in ohio and especially cincinnati based company and so boldly bearcat was a limited flavor for a while it's like a red velvet with a red velvet oreo Ooh. mixed into it also Ooh. yeah but smooth it's french pot ice cream always- is what it's called the best Graters, yes. I, right. My sell to everyone is always because it's small batch ice cream is whenever you take it out of the freezer, you know how with some you got to like warm it up, put it between yep. your legs, do yep. that. This yeah. one you can pierce with a spoon right away. There is no wait time. Nice. And so when I roll up to the freezer late night, especially if I'm a little drunk, the pint of ice cream is getting dealt with. So nice, that's man. number nice. two. Number one, 
This one, to me, one of the most versatile food items that exists. I cannot physically keep it in the house at this point. I only have it when I'm on the road, when I'm at one of my parents' places, because they buy it, because they know they want to have a little bit. But also, when we're coming into town, me, my brother, and my sister now, who are all adults, that we need this little bit of nostalgia. To me, the number one late-night snack is a bowl of cereal. And usually like a bowl of cinnamon toast crunch, something sweet and sugary like that. But there is no feeling quite like hitting that right milk to cereal ratio. (laughs) Now, it's another one, too. I always say I like food that's got a little ass to it. It's going to curb your craving. You're not going to be worried about eating more after cereal. I am always for a little something sweet, as evidenced by my list. It's pretty much all sweet stuff. But cereal, to me, takes the cake because you can also, like eating muffins, lie to yourself and convince yourself that you're not just eating dessert. That's amazing, man. I think that one would be on a lot of people's number one for a late night snack. He went with cereal. Now, uh, I went sort of at number two like you did with leftovers, but I'm very specific here. When I go to McDonald's and when I go to Burger King and I go to Taco Bell and all these fast food restaurants and we get dinner, I always order two extra cheeseburgers, a couple extra tacos, and I put them in the fridge for later at night. There's nothing better to me than sitting at night and warming up. I got McDonald's at the house, man. I didn't have to drive to the drive-thru. I live in a town 10 minutes away from Sioux Falls. There is nothing open past 9 o'clock around here. So I am rewarming up the microwave with with my McDonald's cheeseburgers, my Taco Bell tacos, uh, and I'm just sitting there, and I'm sh- I don't even – when I eat these at night too in bed – Mike, I'm telling you, man, I am, I am, I am terrible. I will lay there, head to pillow. I barely sit up. I'm eating it like this, you know, and I'm just shoveling it in. I, I can eat, you know, some low main, no problem. Um, so I, I, I'm warming up my leftovers, but specifically fast food at number two. What do you think of that? Some extra cheeseburgers when you're at McDonald's late night. You're the first person I've ever heard of who has gone <laughs> leftover on fast food. Like I have a lot of memories of buying like a ton of late night drunk food in college and yeah. then waking up the next morning and forgetting it out on the counter or having it like in my lap yeah. where I finished with it. Yeah. And the thought of going back to the well on that honestly was not something that's crossed my mind very often. So I don't know whether you're an innovator or a madman, but either way, I respect it. You got to refrigerate it because you don't want to get sick, but you refrigerate it. You warm it back up. Absolutely delicious. You may you got a McDonald's in your house. And number one, dude, I, I, I wish they made these in packages bigger than 12, but they don't. Usually the normal package is six. You can get the hefty size, I think, is 12. But, man, I can kill down some honey buns with the best of them, my friend. Uh, and the thing is, I'll eat about six in one setting. I have metabolism like a fox. And it just, for some reason, it hasn't started to pile on yet. I'm 38. I know it will sooner rather than later. But I can eat six honey buns on a Monday, six more on a Thursday, six more on a Saturday, and I might be minus two pounds by Monday. I don't know what it is, but it works. And honey buns to me are the greatest late nights. I've been eating them since I was about 10, and I've never gotten tired of them. And that is the try-true test that you that you like something is when you don't get tired of them after you've probably eaten 6,000 of them. Number one honey buns on my list, all right? I love honey buns, man. I have ne- I don't know if I could eat six in one sitting oh, at yeah, this point. Yeah, like yeah. they're talking about the full size ones, right? That are I'm about like about, this- I'm talking about the little ones you get. Not the not the big, big ones that you get at the gas station. I'm talking oh, about the okay. one- 
that okay, come in like right, the right. like the, this, the box. Yeah, box right, of six this, of them. This was the disconnect for me yes. because I was thinking of the flying saucer size one at the oh, gas God, station. No, no, no. And if you were wolfing down six of those in a sitting <laughs> multiple times a week, we're no. gonna have to re up that diabetes conversation. <laughs> now those ones are actually a little too sticky for me, man. I like the ones that are less sticky in the box. They go oh, down, man. and if you I love it, I love the sticky ones. You can pull them apart too. Oh, get them it's, sections. I it's mean, then it's hard to go through so many. And honestly, the best thing to wash those, I'll eat them. I'll drink. I'll drink a Monster Energy drink at nine o'clock with about six honey buns, and I still sleep like a baby, man. I'm a you weird have a Monster dude. Energy drink at nine p.m. Oh at yes. Night. And no problem. I will sleep like a baby. My three boys wear me out, Mike. I could drink. No problem. No problem, man. Sugar-free, though. Got to go with the zero-calorie ones. Got to make sure that you're staying. <laughs> no, no, of course, yeah. As you walk down the six honey buns, make sure you got that sugar-free monster. That's, that's the real. That's the real. Oh, man. It's must be icing on top of the cake, but you're trying right. to take icing off. That's Mike Golick Jr. There's the list brought to you by ReliaBank and the Mass. This was a blast, man. Thanks for the time, Mike. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Enjoy your honey buns and monster. I will. As another page is turned on the list podcast, find us iTunes, Spotify, believe.com. Thanks for the time, everybody. We'll see you next. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.